Welcome to Church Uncharted, a podcast about following Jesus and making new followers of Jesus in the uncharted waters of today. Your host, Matt Schubert, serves at a Lutheran church in the Rockingham Mandra region of Western Australia, and he'll be joined by guests who will help us, the church, interpret these crazy times that we're living in. There was another sickness going around that Luther came home right and he picked up his little daughter and gave her a big hug and then realised he hadn't washed his hands yet and he was thrown into depression for a week. He thought, I've probably just killed my daughter. Hey guys, Matt Schubert here, host of Church Uncharted. First of all, I'm delighted that you're taking the time to tune into this conversation I had with Tom Peach. All about how the church has dealt with plagues and illness throughout its history and how that can help guide us in our response to COVID-19 today. I want to apologise that our recording device failed us a little bit this week. So when I'm speaking and asking Tom questions, the audio quality isn't what it should be. Nevertheless, if you're happy to overlook that, we are sure that you're going to find this episode helpful and encouraging. On this episode, I'm joined by Tom Peach. Tom, how, how are you today? I'm very well, thanks, Matt. It's great to be with you. Now, Tom, you are the lecturer for church history at a, uh, at a Bible college, at a seminary, Australian Lutheran College. Um, t- tell us a little bit more about yourself. I'm, I'm sure you're more than simply a, uh, a lecturer. Yeah, that's right. I suppose I'm more than that, but um, um I, I didn't, I, I didn't mean simply a lecturer. As no, if no, was, <laughs> as if that was some easy feat to, to get to. I'm, I'm sure no, no. You, you probably had to study for a little while to, to get there. Oh, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've studied for a while. I, I'm still studying actually. So um, I'm a yeah. So I, I live in Adelaide. You're right. That's where Australian Lutheran College is. I'm from Melbourne though, and I was born and bred there. I then sort of moved around a bit. I became a pastor, so I'm ordained. I was ordained nearly 10 years ago. I've got a wife, Chelsea, and two sons, uh, Benedict and Matthew. And um, I'm getting to spend more time with them in these current conditions too, which is lovely. Um, yeah. yeah, and so, and then I've been a lecturer at ALC for three years. I had a parish before then. I did some studies in America. And um, I'm also a PhD student, so I, um, I'm doing my research. And, and Now, then, remind me, what's your thesis on? If you're able to give like a 15 second uh, uh, thesis proposal <laughs> for all our listeners, uh, how, what, what would you put it down to? Well, that's a challenge, but no, it, it's a, I'm studying, it's in the early church. There's a bishop called Cyril of Alexandria. He's one of the great theologians of the early church. His main input was defending that Christ has two natures, but is one Christ. And um, he was the main guy who really championed this cause, one of the great church theologians. I'm looking at a work of his that's never been translated. It's called um, Adoration and Worship in Spirit and Truth. It's longer than the New Testament by half, so it's huge. And it's um, a kind of whole biblical theology of justification and sanctification through the sacraments and their connection to the Old Testament and how Christ fulfills the Levitical priesthood and the sacrifices and the tabernacle. And it it goes on and on. It's enormous and it's still sort of early days, but it's exciting. 
that's, that's more than 15 seconds. So that's, that's, uh, that's your 30,000 words uh, now down to a minute. So that, that's, that, that's pretty good, Tom. And, and your, your name is, is Chelsea? Yes, that's right. Chelsea is my wife. We've been married oh, 14 years, I think, or something like that. And um, yeah, there's, there's much to say about her too. But. This might be a bit more of a question for Chelsea, but I imagine it would be quite difficult to be married to a historian because you'd always be bringing up the past. <laughs> I, nice. I have not <laughs> heard that one before and that is fantastic. I will definitely be using that one. Yeah, and, you, um, you can use that. You don't even need to reference me. That's fine. Look, it is difficult being married to me for many more reasons <laughs> than just that, but that is certainly one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So, Tom, why is it important for us to know church history? I'm, I'm sure uh, because, right, when I started out at Bible college, there was almost a little bit of a stigma around church history that, that it might be boring or a little, little bit dry. Sell the case for, for church history to us, Tom. Why, why is it important to know? Oh, look, it's weird, that, that bias. And I, I find that too. And it is just, it's the, I mean, I don't want to be competitive and say it's the best field, mm. but it's just fantastic. And um, I mean, I really I, enjoyed it when I right. studied church history. I mean, so, so, so just studying history itself, whether it's church or not, is a great thing, but it's something that is completely undermined in our age today. I think we sort of think we've ascended to some perfect plane and, and we look back at everything with a bit of disdain and think, it was all done poorly then, we've got it right, and so there's no need to kind mm. of mess around in that area. And what history does, just secular or Christian, show is that actually the way we see the world does change and, and isn't always right. The, 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 the vision that we have of the world now isn't just natural, but it's something that's been created and people have actually viewed the world very cogently and wisely in very different ways. And so history itself the study of it kind of rounds us out and gives us some humility and perspective on, on our age but but christian and christian history sort of has that dimension too i suppose so i mean you know within the church or with christianity you have these fads everyone thinks about the church or christ or in a particular way and we look to him for a certain thing today you can sort of dial the time machine back 800 years and realize no one looked to christ for that then or, or very mm. few people did but actually they looked to him for this other dimension, which was potentially just as scriptural and, and just as valid. And, mm. and, and sometimes the study of history actually just broadens our picture of, of Christ. I mean, actually on that, there's a great book called, called Jesus Through the Centuries um, by Yaroslav Pelikan. And he pretty much goes through every century, the last 20 centuries, and brings out the kind of Christ that was for them in that age. And, um, and he doesn't play them off against each other, but just almost shows Christ's many angles, like what are those things children look through, the, 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 the many angle? The, the, uh, the kaleidoscope? Is, is it yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so sort of history has that kaleidoscope dimension where you mm. can see Christ um, and receive him in all these sort of different angles. And that, that is a biblical kind of uh, uh, dimension too, because the scriptures themselves encourage us to think of history. I, I think of Hebrews where it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to yeah. you, the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, mm. Im imitate their faith. And so it's very edifying for us to actually see, actually that, that Hebrews passage even goes on to talk about um, you'll see that actually some people have been led by bad fruits. Don't follow them. 
um, history sort of enables us not just to see how people are going now around us, it sort of enables us to see, well, how's that going to work out for you? So, you know, you might have a few mates and, and you think, oh, yeah, that, that guy's got an interesting take on things. Mm. But history enables you to kind of fast forward it and see, well, how's that going to end up for him? And, um, and sometimes that can help us in our, in our wisdom and, um, and help us see what, what are the good fruits on offer and, and what are the less good fruits. And so... Yeah. I mean, one, one other way I, I sometimes think about it, and um, I know I don't want to take up too much time on this, but I get passionate about this too. But it is that um, it's history is almost like God's God's battlefield. I think um, Luther talks about it in this way. Almost, it's the place where Scripture is actually enacted. So, so we, we, we cherish the Scriptures, but they were they were done two thousand years ago. What we what we forget sometimes is the Holy Spirit has actually been speaking them, enacting them in time and in places for two thousand years, and we actually have much to learn from history that is even biblical to see how has the Word actually um, um, impacted people in the world, and um, and so even the study of history is the study of the Scriptures in many ways as well. That's Not fantastic, just the, Tom. the Scriptures in theory, but the Scriptures actually in play. And um, so the Scriptures come alive in history too. I could go on forever. That's just a little <laughs> bit for now. No, that's great. I'm glad that I brought you on because really I wanted to have you on this uh, Church Uncharted podcast because I suspected that just as you're saying that we can learn from history, we, we can see how uh, the Spirit has been speaking to the church through different times, different periods, through times of suffering and times of rejoicing. I suspected that in this current coronavirus, COVID-19 season, that the church has suddenly found themselves in, not to mention the world, but even just the, the church having to navigate this and work out what it looks like for the church to be God's people in this time. I brought you on because I was curious to see if there were some lessons from the past throughout the history of God's church that we could glean from, that we could learn from and bring into the conversation today. Because we, even though this is unprecedented in some way, the church is not immune from suffering or confusion, times of doubt, uncertainty, pandemics. And so now I'm bringing you into the conversation, Tom, and I was wondering, is this really an unprecedented time for the church? Even the name of this podcast, Church Uncharted, gives the inference that these are uncharted waters, uncharted territory, new terrain for for the church. Is this true? Well, I'm going to give the weak academic answer, which is both yes and no. So so there are uncharted dimensions and non uncharted dimension i mean charted dimension perhaps we can say so i mean like i said before history does change and and the way we look at the world changes and that's one of the major differences i almost think the plague we're experiencing now is perhaps the plague that has caught society most off guard it's not the worst Mm. one necessarily um um, and we can unpack that there have always been plagues and and pestilence and and illnesses and contagion throughout the 2000 years of the church history but this one seems to have caught us off the the, the most we've sort of got used to a world where we can conquer nature through our medical technology and this has really shocked us that nature in its even in its sort of evil dimensions of wreaking havoc on us isn't tameable easily and so mm-hmm. th- there is something very uncharted in in that sense in that 
this has hit us in a time of history where we're not really prepared for this and almost it doesn't fit the script as much. Um, so you're saying that in the past, there, in past centuries, there was a higher view of nature, a higher view of uh, the potential for disaster and really uh, humankind being at the mercy of these calamities, whereas the modern script is one where humankind has dominion over nature. So to have something like this pandemic, which is out of control, where humankind does not have dominion over it, it really doesn't fit the script. Is, is that what you're saying, Tom? Yeah, I mean, the language of dominion is often a positive thing that God gives us dominion in a, in a way. So we've always had dominion and that yet dominion doesn't mean domination. And, um, and you're exactly right to bring up that connection. I mean, we've always had tended to have in history a more uh, a posture of receptivity so um with um i mean sometimes I, I tell students even with like religion is like science in this sense that we both um both religion and science actually just seek to perceive what's going on receive what's happening and there's a posture of humility here and that includes even when plagues come and, and other things we, we, we sit beneath them and, and look at them and receive them and do the best we can we've had more of an era of technology where we don't receive so much, but project onto. So we don't sort of see what is coming to us, but actually come up with what we want to happen, project that onto nature and make it work. And, um, and so that's why this has been such a shock to us because we've had to go back to a humble posture where we actually realize we're not in control of our lives. We're not in control of um, the, the lives of other people, even we're not in control of society. We can't make the world into a perfect place, but actually we can, we can fulfill, um, God's command to love our neighbor in our context, but we are also, um, at the mercy of things that are greater than us. And, and I mean, that brings in that dimension of renewal that can happen as well. So, I mean, what, so there have certainly been plagues and illnesses all through the history of the church, and we can talk about some of them, but the, maybe the, the uniqueness of this one is that it just hits us in a, time that um where we'd sort of thought we'd written plagues out of the script mm, so it's not unprecedented in the way that disease and plague uh, as a major disruption is is anything new but but maybe it's just more the society's posture that has made it unprecedented that right. this this is all the more unexpected and in that sense it's kind of unprecedented because the, the context and the thinking around it has changed. Yeah, look, I'd say that's the case for sure. And um, that's what's the yeah, unique dimension of this too. How has God used these times of pain and disruption in, in the past? What, what kind of examples can, can we look to throughout history, Tom? Yeah, well, um, I mean, there's, there's so many and, and um, the dimensions of sort of social distancing we're going through and isolation and quarantine these these are all historical practices and they've been going on for 2000 years really and um i, I mean the word quarantine comes from the italian word for 40 um you, know, you sort of see it there um quaranta i think it is and um because it used to be that ships coming from um plague zones would have to sit out in the bay for 40 days before that allow them to dock and um i mean even like mm. you know how we say bless you when someone sneezes yeah. this, this comes from the plague era i think when someone sneezes and you'd be like oh wow um this has got a mortal dimension to it bless, <laughs> god bless you with that you could be in trouble and yeah. um and and it carries on to this day so so yeah, all these practices are uh are, are age old i mean 
when we look at like lessons, the early church, so the first few centuries of the church is, um, is a really significant time where God works through these plagues in really fascinating ways. There's a big plague around the year 160. We, we know a bit about that, but we know more about one that hit about a century later around the year 250. Mm. Um, it's actually even named after a Christian bishop called Cyprian. He was the bishop in um, Carthage in North Africa. And they so named... the, the plague is named after Cyprian. Uh, it's not a great claim to fame, I know, wow. but it's, it's called the Cyprian Plague. And, um, and I mean, I, I mean, what did I, he do? What, what, what did he do so wrong that he brought about a plague? I know. I mean, the, 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 he actually did do great stuff. And, and so he's partly named after it, I think. Um, not he's named after it, the plague's named after him because he documented it so well. He, he wrote about it because he was a very um, pastoral bishop and he was very concerned for his flock. And so we have a lot of information about the plague through him and the name just stuck. Um, it, I mean, one, one thing he said, that, right, that, that we've still got to this day um, is that he wrote to his flock and encouraged them to care for each other. He, he, yeah. says, um, he says here that there's nothing remarkable in cherishing merely our own people that is just Christians. Mm. He said, we should love our enemies as well. The good should be done to all, not merely to the household of faith. Mm. Um, and so you have, I mean, what's interesting is that evidently it was a temptation for Christians to just look after themselves um, because they needed such encouragement. But it appears from the records that Cyprian's council and other bishops who counseled the same actually worked and Christians did care for others. Mm. And, um, and, sociologists and Christian historians have actually credited Christian care during plague as a key element in the growth of the early church. Wow. There are a few dimensions to it. Um, one is this care for the enemies and care for the unchurched, which just had a profound effect on um, the pagan world. People couldn't quite compute why you would bother doing this. That, that's right. Cause I, uh, I have this, this quote from the theologian, Dr. Stephen Backhouse, and he wrote, not, not only did 5,000 people per day die in the city of Rome alone, but he, he went so far as to say that, in short, if you knew a Christian, you were statistically more likely to survive. And if you survived, it was the church that offered you the most loving, stable, and social environment. That's some really big stuff, Tom. It's huge. And um, I mean, even medical people have sort of gone through and shown that just by not abandoning people, by doing basic things like washing them with a face washer and giving them something to eat, drastically improved people's chance of recovery. So, I mean, one dimension is even that maybe the people who were connected to Christians just had basic care um, that, that other people were abandoned um, by. So there's another bishop at the time in Alexandria who talks about the way non-Christians, the pagans, were just abandoning um, people, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and um, pushing suffer sufferers away. I mean, you, and, and so just some basic care was actually helping people survive. But, but then on top of that, it was just the, the witness to this kind of love um, that, you, that you mentioned there, Matt, that also made an impact. Um, it was the time too when early Christians would sometimes be killed for their faith and the way that Christians faced their death under persecution made a huge impact and, um, on the growth of the church because they didn't seem to fear death in the way that your average punter did. And, um, 
And I think during the plague, that same confidence in God's mercy and in their eternal future and their eternal identity um, meant that they could care for people in a way that just shocked um, shocked people mm. um, in pagan society as well. So you're saying, Tom, that there's good evidence to conclude that the way that the Christians responded to the 2050 AD plague, that the way that they responded to that plague actually has a direct link with the growth of the church at that time. Is, it, is, is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, that's exactly right. And it's, this has been quite definitively proven. There's a guy called Rodney Stark that most people quote. He did a lot of work on this, but there are others as well. And, um, and it seems to have been, yeah, actually a, a key way in which the spirit wow. used Christians um, to actually build the church. That's amazing. Yeah, right. It, it's it's phenomenal, and I mean, and this this has happened throughout many other periods as well, and um and should be encouragement for us um, today too, and like the people Cyprian was talking to, maybe they did have a temptation to just care for the Christians, and maybe too we Christians have a temptation just to um care for ourselves. We think that you know we too are marked by sin and curved in on ourselves at times, but there's an encouragement here to actually um open ourselves up and see actually our life is hidden in Christ in, in eternity. And um, now this doesn't mean we should be foolhardy, but it does mean that we can have a confidence and, and need not fear death because as we praise Christ for at Easter, he's now swallowed up death by his victory. Uh-huh. And nothing separates us from, from that victory and from the love of God we have, which, which endures beyond our earthly death um, to a, um, life everlasting. And the times of crisis and plague just helped reveal this. It was already there for us, this hope, but it brings this hope into a greater clarity, um, these times of crisis. Mm. And, uh, and that's, that's for all believers. And, and what kind of strikes me at, at this time, well, in 2050, if you knew a Christian, you were statistically more likely to survive. It's, this was the lay people's response, wasn't it? This was the, the Christian church, all Christians, just having an awareness of the reality of, of the situation. This wasn't something directly tied to pastors alone. Sure that the pastors, the leaders may have led their people in this, but this was a time when all the church, you know, your regular church folk, this was the time where, when they stepped up and, and put concerns of those around them in the forefront of their mind. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thinking about um, that in our context, it's interesting because we don't necessarily have the same pagan culture of selfishness around us. We do, of course, all suffer from selfishness. But I do think the way our society bands together and does look out to support the vulnerable shows a Christian heritage that our Australian society is certainly feeding on, even though we're losing or potentially have lost some of the, that mm. foundation of why that is the case. And so it, it is somewhat fragile. And yet I wouldn't want to draw a complete parallel there um, because I, I do think there are aspects of our societal response which has been encouraging in the way that it does seek to look out for the whole. And you see secular doctors and nurses at work caring for others and not abandoning their posts. And as Christians, we know they, that they are people made by God and, and equipped by God. God doesn't just bless the Christians. He blesses all people. The, um, he provides for, for all people mm. according to their needs. I mean, one dimension there I was um, just thinking about is the in the, in the medieval period then when you have the bubonic plague, which hits, yes. which is just um, outrageous. I mean, I think the fatality rate is sort of 
60 to up to up to 90% even some people say you know with covid we're worried about whether it's you know higher than 1% whether yeah. it's up to 1.5 or, or percent or this is sort of 60 to 90% so um it, it is just shocking and it just wipes out huge societies and parts of society what then actually the christian response was one of them at least was for all people and you're right not just pastors here but all people to actually encourage each other in the face of death. So there's this movement called the, it sounds grim to us, it's called the art of dying. Wow, um, yeah. Ars moriendi is the Latin. And, and often it was because the pastors were busy with um, emergency care that actually it was often um, other Christian people, lay people who were um, promoting this, the art of dying. And, and they would write books on it to encourage each other to actually um, to, to die well. And to um, not think this is the end, but actually to have an unwavering confidence in Christ and in his mercy. And I, I sometimes think maybe that's part of the gift that the Christians can offer society today, which is um, full of anxiety about this because it is out of our control. But for us Christians, we, we're used to actually having no control personally mm. over our lives, but then more so, that's why we've looked to the one who does have control, who does actually have um, a plan for us and have our future in his hands and who has prepared a place for us. And so we can actually offer a world um, full of anxiety and uncertainty and who is unused to such public death in a way. We can almost help school them in the art of dying. The, the art of dying is also the art of living, that we're all preparing to die and to die well and and. To, to die well means to live well and to live well means to die well. And, yeah. and right now is a time for us all to encourage each other that um, um, we live under the cross and the resurrection of Christ. And so too we die. And so we need not have the kind of anxiety that um, we, we have without God. Very true. If anything, the current epidemic has heightened society's awareness of death uh, something that we we kind of skip around from and and it manifests itself in in different ways whether it be the preservation of image the preservation of of health and trying to uh, achieve longer and longer lifespans and I, I like what you're saying here because really the christian tradition has a great not an explanation of death but it's got a handle, uh, a way to speak about death. And I, I think it's very important that we, that we speak about it well. And, and, and this probably, this context has opened up a door for, for us to, to have those conversations, at least with one another in the house of God. And uh, one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, Tom, is the way that, you know, early on in the COVID-19 spread, there was this interesting time where, particularly in, in the States, some churches were closing and others remained open, claiming that as God's people, that he is their protector. And, and so kind of within the Christian tradition at the moment, there's been the, this kind of misunderstanding or this confusion around like kind of, God's preservation and our our human responsibility to, to our neighbour. And I think some of that has settled down a little bit. But in the face of all of that, I came across 
this letter from Luther that has been doing the, the rounds uh, around how he advised his, his friend to, to respond to the, the plague in his time. And I think I probably did the rounds bit because it, maybe this is typical Luther, but he gives quite a reasonable, well-balanced answer. Uh, are you aware of the, this letter that uh, Luther wrote? Oh yeah, it's great. And it's a really encouraging one to read at this time. And you're right, full of full of great sense. Yeah, whether whether one may flee a deadly plague, it's called in, in 1527. And um I, I can't even imagine writing a letter titled that, but <laughs> right. But but um it was a, a, a real question and I mean it's almost one for us, like and this is, you know, should I not visit my members or you know, should I not visit other Christians? And um, this is the hard application of the early church to us because maybe it isn't the best thing that we go and give them a bath at times. I mean, although Luther's advice in that is that, yeah, you shouldn't if there's someone to look after them. So if someone's got a family member looking after them, don't be a hero and go and expose yourself to this virus potentially by caring for them. But he would say, if that person has no one, don't leave them alone, go do it. Um, um, this is actually a, a call that God's given you. So he sort of, um, he identifies all, he sort of identifies different people and what your vocation is. There's no one size fits all response to this, that sometimes it is appropriate to stay away. Other times it's um, appropriate to stay and, and do your duty. He especially says this of pastors when, because, you know, Christ says a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hireling sees the wolf coming and flees. He, he doesn't want pastors to be like hirelings where they see the wolf coming and flees. Mm. But, but then he kind of, on the same breath or same same paragraph maybe he says then again if you've got a few pastors coming in an area um by all means let one or two of them um, um head off and quarantine mm. themselves and give responsibility to just one and um but but i mean on that point you raised about that foolhardiness he also warns against this right and um he he actually gives in that letter some stories in the scriptures when holy people defend their lives and, and flee he talks about how paul i don't know if you remember he escapes from Damascus by a basket. The, the basket down the wall. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah right. And he, he talks about Abraham in Egypt having to sort of lie about Sarah, that, that she's my sister because he fears his wife. And, um, <laughs> and, and he goes through a number of other examples when actually people do protect their life and, and life is a gift given to us from God and, and we mm. ought to do this. And it, it can be actually impious not to protect the life that God's given us. Mm. But, but then at the same time, he does um, want people to have a confidence that God can take our lives at any time and that our lives aren't in our hands, that actually our lives are, I mean, this time is, is a time to prepare. He, he speaks about the importance of repentance, that um, now is a time for us all to repent of our sins, to again, hear the gospel and be renewed by God. And so um, we don't want to be too haughty and think that our life is um, something to give away cheaply and to be foolhardy, to, to tempt God, Luther oh. says, by, by just throwing ourselves into plague conditions. Um, but at the same time, he, he also says, according to your vocation, there may be a time when you will be exposed. And, and to be sure, Luther himself um, looked after a bunch of people who were sick at his home because they didn't have anywhere else to go. And um, I mean, I, I remember actually reading, I don't think it's this case, but slightly later, um, a few years later, when there was another sickness going around, a, a deadly sickness, that Luther came home right and he picked up his little daughter and gave her a big hug uh. and then realised he hadn't washed his hands yet. 
okay. This is what you would do. And, and he was, he thrown into depression for a week because he was, he thought I've probably just killed my daughter by my own foolishness. And, um, and fortunately she didn't contract anything and, and everything was okay. But I thought that was a very modern example of, yeah. uh, of the kind of diligence that we need to, um, um, have for ourselves and for our families and for our friends as well. Um, that we don't be, we're not foolhardy and yet we do still, um, care for others as, as best we can too. Brilliant. I, what I love about Luther is that he doesn't see trusting God and taking human action as mutually exclusive by, by any yes. means. He says, therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed. So as God's people, we're given this amazing area of freedom where, where we can both trust God and, and also use common sense as as you're referring to and you know sometimes that that common sense lets us down in a time where it isn't always black and white there's a whole lot of gray area in this time and from church history we can trust that god is with us in that uncertainty that he's alongside us in our weaknesses and often we see in church history how, how god redeems even our foolishness and so uh, this has been a great conversation. Tom, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Church Uncharted podcast. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to chat to you again at some point. What, what do you say? Oh, sounds great fun. And thanks for having me on, Matt. And um, blessings to you and to all the listeners too at this time. Church Uncharted, a podcast about following Jesus and making new followers of Jesus in the uncharted waters of today. Sharing is caring, so if you have found this conversation helpful, be sure to send the link to a friend or family member so that they too can be encouraged by the everyday power of the gospel, be given a deeper love for God's church, and be stirred to see the way the Spirit is at work in the lives of those around us.